This is a Need 10 Media production. Welcome aboard, my friends. Nate Clayberg again for another episode of That's a Job podcast. And it's uh, the podcast where there might be jobs that you didn't know what they were or who has them or how they got there or that type of thing. So I'm going to bring in a gentleman I've known uh, for a little while now through some mutual connections and, and events and things like that. And that's Eric Engelman uh, from the Cedar Rapids, Iowa area. And uh, Eric, uh, I, I was just trying to think about how we met or when we met. I'm sure through it was through Trace Stefan, I'm sure is probably where the, that connection came in. But uh, kind of tell us uh, as we start off uh, who you are, where you are, what you're doing now. Yeah. Uh, you know, I live in, uh, I live in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and uh, today my job is uh, as a venture capitalist. Uh, in short, I, I basically take rich people's money uh, with their permission, and I invest it in, uh, in startup companies uh, in Iowa. So it's a, an interesting job. So by just adding that, that one phrase, with their permission, it completely changes the whole level of the job. <laughs> yeah, taking the rich people's money. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting because venture capital has a couple of things uh, that have to be done in sequence. I mean, first, you have to basically say to a whole bunch of wealthy folks, uh, I think I have some opportunities in my network uh, where I could invest your money if you want. Uh, so you pretty much have to, you know, meet with them and convince them that this is an, a good a good place for them to invest their money when they have they have lots of options for investing their money. They don't need to do it with you because if you don't have money to invest, you can't be a venture investor. Uh, the second piece of the job is really focused on, you know, identifying potential startup opportunities uh, to invest in, evaluating them, and making investment decisions. So uh, we essentially have the option to. Uh, invest the money uh, where we see fit. The, the wealthy folks have trusted us to go do that uh, on their behalf. So it's a lot of work. Like that is the primary focus of the job right now. I'm two years into it. And that's the bulk of what I spend my time doing with my, my small team, meeting with founders, uh, digging into their business, understanding the math, uh, their customers, doing reference calls, that sort of thing. And then the third piece is, uh, you know, after we've invested in the, com- in the company, working with those founders to help them move the company toward an exit. The way venture capital works is we invest money at a certain price at a certain early stage of the business. And as the business gets better and bigger and stronger at some point, the founder needs to sell it uh, because we need to get our money back as investors. We're not here to just help you grow your business. We need an exit. So that means they sell the company to someone else, hopefully at a much, much higher price. And then we get to make a, pay a bunch of money back to our investors. That's the gist of the job. But you didn't just wake up and become a venture capitalist at all. Had to, to start somewhere to get you to that point, right? I suppose when you were sitting in high school or looking to go into education, software, engineering, that type of thing, is that where you were thinking? And how did that evolve from there? Um, you know, uh, in high school, I had jobs working at pizza places and uh, I was Chuck E. Cheese for a while, literally the dancing mouse. Uh, and uh, so I had many, many silly jobs as a kid. Uh, and, you know, what I learned from those jobs jobs was I like working in in teams. I like working with businesses and figuring out how do you get a team to perform well. And, uh, you know, so that led me to at the time when I when I started college, I thought I would be an industrial engineer. I thought that was the right mixture and a little bit of technical, which I liked, but it was really about people and how they worked. But uh, I learned very quickly in college that uh, engineering was maybe not for me. And so I ended up as a business major with uh, economics major. Honestly, the economics major I chose because it was the shortest of the options in the business school. Um, I wanted, to, I was ready to work. I, 
I was a not the best student, let's just say, and uh, I wanted to get out and get into the workforce. My first job out of college was as a web developer, which at the time I got the job was a brand spanking new thing. Nobody knew what that was. My parents were like, a web what? But uh, I had a little bit of technical experience enough to be able to get started pretty quickly with that company, just as the internet was kind of taking uh, a big start in 1997. And then in 1999, uh, I started my own company. I had two years of work experience and decided I was maybe arrogant enough to think that I knew what I needed to know to start a business of my own. And that business uh, called Geonetric, uh, still going today, uh, is basically a web development uh, company but today it only worked with hospitals. So over the years, that company uh, grew really, really fast and evolved. Uh, it's now about almost 100 people, uh, basically building web applications for hospitals. Uh, I was a, a technical person for the beginning of that, but I quickly morphed into uh, the management side of things. Um, and to be honest, I enjoyed that the most in the beginning. 15 years in, uh, I realized, you know, just administering a company, the, the same, like it just wasn't exciting to me anymore. Uh, so I left to create a new organization called Nuboco. Uh, Nuboco is a nonprofit uh, that works with entrepreneurs and uh, talent uh, skill up programs like our Delta V Code School. That was 2014. We started that. Uh, I did that for seven years, uh, worked with entrepreneurs. That's where I got a lot of my background, working with entrepreneurs and uh, helping them grow. And then in 2020, uh, 2021, left that to, to build the venture fund. So when you look back to, to starting Geonetric, or, uh... Uh, geometric, um, you know, thinking, like you said, you're arrogant enough to think you knew what you were doing. When, what year did you finally fi figure out that you did know what you were doing? Or are you going to say you were still trying to figure it out 17 years after it started? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's funny. Uh, I was 24 when we started that company. And uh, I remember thinking of my the bosses at the company that I worked at before, like, I could do this better than them. Uh, here's all the things they're doing wrong. I know, I know all this. And uh, probably six months into starting my own business, realized I really want to go to lunch with them and ask them how did, there was two brothers, they were the owners. I want to take them to lunch and just ask them like, okay, how'd you deal with this problem? How'd you deal with this situation? Because I have no idea and I'm totally lost. And uh, so there's, there's a little bit, I think, of every entrepreneur that wants to lead that it, it requires a little bit of ego and maybe some arrogance. Uh, but I think it also requires some humility to, to know that there are things you don't know and you might need to go ask for help from somebody who's been there before. When you look at the technical aspect of it, and, and if a student's listening to this or parents or whoever, and you're like, wait a minute, you started a web development company and you had a business major in economics. So, you know, I, I think maybe is that, uh, and it's, it's changed a lot since then of where the programming is or development or whatever. Um, the pathway to just get into that was it was it learning that that code the method how did how did you come across learning that um, where the assumption could be well you should you learn that in in a in a college training program yeah that's a good question you know there were some aspects of uh, of college that were incredibly valuable uh, in being an entrepreneur um, but I. I suppose it's sort of like reading a book and trying to learn how to be a football player. Like you can't do it unless you actually go do it um, and simulate it as close as you can do it in a classroom, simulate certain pieces. But, uh, you know, starting a business is uh, it's a wild roller coaster uh, journey. And so I, I, I certainly if you have the opportunity to, to take coursework in business or in entrepreneurship in college, it absolutely prepares you for pieces of it. But uh, there's really no substitute for just doing it. 
if I could do it all over again and, uh, you know, build a magical career path for myself, uh, I would love to have worked for a, a startup for a longer period of time as a leader in that, not necessarily as the founder, but as a, a leader in it and seeing how other people do it so that they would pay me to learn uh, on their dime as opposed to, uh, you know, maybe me paying for it because uh, we, we paid for it in our own business um, pretty, pretty severely, some mistakes that we made uh, early on. That's actually part of how I got to my current job is I realized there were things that I didn't know. And at least as far as I knew, nobody was out there teaching entrepreneurs how to deal with these situations. And I was like, okay, I've, I've learned some really rough lessons. I could at the very least share my lessons and try to collect lessons from other people and try to share those with entrepreneurs too. If it, if it helps entrepreneurs to be 10% uh, more likely to be successful over a decade, that's a huge impact uh, on Iowa. So that, that's what gets me up out of bed every morning. Do you, do you think, you know, going back with what you just said, do you feel like you would have listened to yourself if you were, if you met yourself, you know, now meeting yourself at 24, do you think you would have listened to yourself? No, probably not. <laughs> um, no. But you probably come across some, you probably come across some, some young people like that, right? Is there, is that are starting a business or they want to start a company like you did and you have to have maybe some real conversations. Does that happen? It it does. And, uh, you know, I think that as a, as an investor, you know, we get to meet, I don't know, I probably meet a new entrepreneur almost, almost every day uh, at some different stage. Some of them are brand new and some of them are very experienced entrepreneurs. Um, And, uh, you know, oftentimes we, we like to pride ourselves a little bit on the fact that we're going to attempt to tell you the unvarnished truth. Um, a lot of investors, they, they don't have time for that, for one. Uh, and two, it's, it's an awkward conversation. And we're, we're sort of trying to train our small team to say, like, part of the value we provide is giving that feedback to entrepreneurs that they might not want to hear. Um, and uh, in a way that's as clear as you can cut through the ego as possible. Um, because I think part of the reason uh, that maybe I, you know, if it depends on who's telling me that Eric, you should maybe go spend two years working in another startup to get this experience building these things first. It'll make you more successful in the long run. Like it has to be said in a way that will cut through the ego of an entrepreneur, um, or at least in, certainly my ego as an entrepreneur. Uh, it would have been hard to communicate that, and we try to figure out how do you how do you say this clearly enough, succinctly enough, with a little bit of bite to it that gets them to say, oh, oh, maybe I should consider uh, thinking of it that way. Because you probably get a lot of, when you look at some of those ideas and people starting up and, and you've been in the situation, and I'm sure I have, of um, people just kind of pat you on the back and say, that's a good idea. Good luck with that. Or, um, but they don't know what that, I suppose they don't want to upset that person. Sometimes we run into, and I see that with students and other people, we don't want to upset them, but sometimes you have to have that radical candor, right? Yeah. Uh, to help them move forward. Yeah. It's uh, the Iowa nice kind of plays against us. Uh, like you, you want to say, oh, that's interesting. Hmm, okay. Yeah. And usually what you, well, at least I think our, our approach is usually to just ask questions of, oh, that's interesting. How many customers have you talked to who potentially had that problem? Really? How did they describe it to you? What words did they use? <laughs> Uh, you know, and, and they'll often say, well, I haven't really talked to any customers or yeah, they didn't yeah. say it the way I thought they would say it. And, and that starts to lead them to the conclusion that, oh, maybe there's some things I don't know or don't know well enough about this market or this customer type or my potential solution to decide to throw my life at it. Because, um, right. you know, that's, that's part of what we're talking to entrepreneurs about is, 
if you're an entrepreneur, you're kind of all in. And that means your dollars, your time, your mental energy, the stress you're going to take on, your relationships sometimes suffer if you're married or have a significant other or whatever, or your children. Uh, like you're you're sacrificing things to be an entrepreneur. It's it's very hard to do it kind of half seat. You know, you're you're in all, all the way. And it's like if you can only do one thing, like I want you to be as successful in that one thing and solve a big meaningful problem, uh, as opposed to some adorable little nuance problem, which is really really common. Uh, that entrepreneurs like, oh, I've got this great idea, and here's kind of a silly example. Uh, often from students, they'll say, I'm going to build an app. And I'm gonna be able to plug in the things that are in my pantry and it's gonna tell me what recipe I can have for dinner tonight. And it's like, <laughs> I've heard this idea like from 10 times over 10 years, like some student comes up with it and like, okay, that's cool. Uh, a, is a poor student gonna pay money for it? I don't know. And two, like, is that really what you wanna throw your life at? Is it really that important to you that that's the one thing you're gonna throw your life at? And uh, try to encourage them to say, you could solve a big problem in the world that's out there like let's let's think of something maybe a little bigger. You, you talk about entrepreneurship, and you really over the last I don't know what do you say fifteen twenty years that entrepreneurship's kind of taken hold a little bit. Maybe people understand more about what it is. Um, even coming through the workforce challenge we have right now, um, or the the great resignation that's out there, or the great reset, or whatever people want to call it, you have people that are just starting things and certain ideas because they saw how the world uh, impacted them and tired of what uh, a W-2 paycheck was. But are you also seeing, uh, I guess this is a, a, a double side, are you seeing increases in areas uh, of people coming in to try it? But also are you seeing people saying, no, I'm not going to run the risk of that because I can just go get a job because it's so easy to get a job right now. You know, um, I suppose it's two questions in there. You say, you know, one kind of cancels the other one out, but that, that, that's just my, uh, my, my, my thought. Yeah. You know, at this moment in time, uh, I think there, you have, you have kind of two incentives. Uh, a lot of people have, you know, weathered the pandemic pretty well and maybe have saved up some cash because they're not spending as much. And, you know, there have been some programs and things that have helped soften the blow for a lot of people. And so uh, a lot of people have just said, you know, I'm in a position now where I should leave and start my own business either because my job is awful uh, or it doesn't pay very much or whatever. Um, and so I do, there has been a significant increase and it's been a trend I would say over the last maybe five years, I just uh, was looking at some statistics where in, in Iowa, uh, there's been about a 50% increase over the last five years in new businesses being formed uh, of all kinds, uh, of all types, uh, which I thought was pretty remarkable and that's significantly faster than most of the Midwestern states uh, around us. Uh, but your other point is true too. Like right now, the bargaining power is absolutely with the worker. And so, you know, your ability to leave and get a better paying job somewhere else or to work remotely for a company in San Francisco. Uh, we have a student that went through our code school, for example, got a job in Iowa, right out of the code school. I want to say, I, I don't know the precise number, but I, I would say she was making 60, 70,000 um, after, you know, a 20 week uh, coding boot camp, which was really cool. Uh, and then she left that job to get a job out of uh, San Francisco, I believe, making well into six figures. So that's a, a huge percentage increase just uh, within a year later. Um, and really just arbitraging between the way pay is handled on the coasts and the cost of living in Iowa. There's lots of opportunities for people to make really, really good money either way as an entrepreneur or as an employee. Well, and you talk about uh, the, the Nubo Co. Uh, venture 
and all the things that are involved with that. And you guys were kind of early into co-working and, and uh, you know, the, the startup weekends and stuff like that that you've put on. And, and even with uh, a program that uh, compares to some of the work that I do when you look at Iowa Big, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're kind of in the world of trying some things differently. Uh, talk through that, just the, the, the mindset that went into saying, we're going to do this, we're going to try this, and we're going against the traditional methods, uh, but putting entrepreneurship into education. Yeah, well, and, and just to be clear, I think is, uh, is definitely not our, our program, but we're very friendly with them, and they work with us on a lot of projects. Right. But uh, yeah, right. uh, it's, it's a really, really great program. And it's the reason I think we work so well together is because we're working with entrepreneurs in so many uh, different ways. So yeah, all of the programs you mentioned in there, um, uh, except Iowa Big, they're all part of NuvoCo. And when we formed NuvoCo, it was a couple of things. It was a, a co-working space, a physical space for entrepreneurs to be. It was a startup accelerator, which was essentially teaching all the lessons that I screwed up much faster than um, you know, I learned <laughs> but to new entrepreneurs uh, and building mentoring programs and other things. And then over time, we when we first wrote the it's a nonprofit, so we wrote the letter, the little paragraph to the IRS saying, "Here's what we're going to do and why we should be a nonprofit that is uh, exempt from paying taxes," which is kind of nice. Um, and uh, it said, "We're going to help entrepreneurs. We're going to educate new people in the workforce, and we're going to work with companies who want to be more innovative." When we started it, only one of those things was true in the scope of what we could actually do at the time when we started it, because our focus we had two people, um, we were tiny. Uh, but yeah, you know, I think our first year's budget was $400,000 or something. And I think last year was something like 3 million. So it's almost 10 X what it was when we started in terms of just its scale. And we started to add these programs around it because Nuboco was intended to be we're, our, our mission is to do the experimental stuff, right? It's a, it's a, it's a nonprofit. We've got, uh, some people who are donating money or sponsoring us because we want to be on the front edge of the, the crazy risky stuff that nobody wants to try to pull off. Uh, you know, when the accelerator that we started was the first program of its kind in Iowa. The code school that we started was the first of its kind in Iowa, and that's now expanded into cybersecurity school and digital marketing school, for example. Uh, we're doing lots of work in uh, K-12 education in terms of uh, computer science in schools. Tens of thousands of students in Iowa have been trained through our program that trains teachers how to teach computer science. And that corporate innovation stuff, uh, we're working with companies all over the state and even a few outside the state of Iowa on, you know, creating a culture of innovation and uh, new ways to do things. So Nuboco's whole purpose was to be the experimental bow wave of really risky stuff that uh, most people would never, never try to do. And that's, that's sort of its reason for existing. Yeah, you know, you talked about uh, that young lady that went through the 20 week code school um, and that type of training and where that took her as far as the starting income and then the six figure income and where she was at. Um, it, that's that, it, that I guess is where I see the future of education, you know, especially if you can start in high school or you can come back from a second or third career and, and see that this is an opportunity. Are you seeing more and more of that it happened? Uh, just taking higher ed out of it and, and focusing on these skill sets and, and getting the connections that are probably being developed through a new code type thing to, to, to help people find new opportunities. 
Uh, yeah, I think it's a gradual change in, in society. And um, just to be clear, if you have the opportunity to do a four-year liberal arts college, I mean, I, I encourage people to do that. Um, I'm, my daughter is going to do that uh, starting this fall. Uh, you know, it's, it's not something where I think it's a bad idea. Uh, however, the pace at which uh, new skills can be acquired, the mechanisms to train people efficiently and quickly on new emerging technologies, uh, especially in the, in the technical space, um, in software and things like that, uh, like smaller programs like Delta V and, and things like that boot camps, they can just move faster. Um, they can, you know, they're not necessarily even accredited by, uh, you know, the, uh, the powers that be but that lets them move quickly, right? We can incorporate new technology or new training techniques every time we run it a couple of times a year. So I do see a, a transition in society. There's a sort of a, uh, a, a period in time where you might go to college and, and gain some core raw life skills and the soft skills around what you're doing. And I can see mechanisms where people uh, rapidly acquire new skills as new technologies emerge in things like boot camps. And there's probably some blend of those over time that those end up working closely together. Well, I got to think back. Um, I think after you uh, had sold your company and evolved, you took a year off hmm. and traveled the world. And I think that was right before the world changed, if I'm remembering right. But talk well, through that whole uh, world that you just took off. You and your family just took off. Yeah. Uh, so and, that and, and the impact of that. Yeah, it was, a, it was a big thing. Uh, my wife and I had talked early on uh, about the idea of if we're going to risk all this stuff and do all this crazy stuff, uh, but there was some crazy stuff, you know, signing uh, documents about <laughs> our second mortgage that she's, I was like, honey, you don't want to know what's going on. Just sign this document. We're going to put our house on the line <laughs> for this situation. And uh, we did, and it worked. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we had this conversation about why are we doing this? And I, I, we said, you know, one of the reasons is we want to give our kids a unique opportunity in life and try to give them some experiences and, and for ourselves, some experiences that might broaden our, our worldview. And we said at the time, what we said was we want to travel around the world for a year with our kids. And the idea was to travel as a family of four uh, right before they would hit high school. Um, so, you know, old enough to hopefully appreciate it, get a lot out of it, but young enough that, you know, they weren't, you know, taking away from credits for college that they might need and making a mess there. So we did, it, it was December of 2017. We left, we literally traveled around the world. Uh, we ended up doing eight months, uh, got back in the summer of 2018 and it was, it was an epic adventure. Uh, and, you know, we planned it for 10 years, saved up for it for 10 years and had to organize our lives around it, uh, so that I could step away from Geonetrics so that she, she's a teacher uh, so she could step away from her job for for that period of time um, and our kids were able to to step away from you know their sports and music lessons and everything else um, to do that it was it was wild yeah talking you know you, you come back home and and uh, that can't help but change you right in 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 seeing the things that um, there's probably things you thought you would see and there's things that you saw saw that you thought you would never see yeah um you know, what, what stood out in that journey that, you know, still maybe pays off today or um, maybe maybe changed your mindset or even your wife or your kids' mindsets as far as life? Yeah, you know, my wife and I had had the, the fortune of, of doing a fair amount of travel before that. Uh, but, you know, we've been around multiple countries around the world before that trip. But 
spending you know a month in uh, New Zealand driving through these communities and seeing you know they've chosen different things in their society, uh, some of which uh, it's like, wow, why don't we do it that, that way? And other things you think, I'm glad we don't do it that way. And that you know what? It's all good. Like they do things differently and that's fine. Uh, there, there are a lot of opportunities out there for different ways to approach problems. Um, in society or ways people dealt with things in the past that are different. And so, you know, for us, I think it was really just about seeing how, I, I guess I picture it as everybody in the world wants to be like the United States. And I don't think people in New Zealand care at all. I think they're like, we kind of like it the way we are and we like it this way as one, one of many examples. Uh, and maybe there are things that they, they wish were different, but, uh, you know, generally speaking, uh, I don't, I think there's an, automatic arrogance uh, in being an American that I had anyway. And I think probably many Americans do of like, well, we're the number one country in the world or we think we are. So everybody should try to be like us. And I don't think most people in the world actually have any interest in being any different. They like the way they are. They've got a culture and a society set up the way they like it, generally speaking. And I think it was just, it sort of knocked me down a peg a little bit and thinking there are lots of ways to solve problems and deal with situations. And uh, there isn't always one right answer. There can be many, many different kinds of answers to this problem. A couple of that, just as I wrap up here, um, just think through is, is what, what skill sets would you invite people, young people, uh, people coming through and as they're growing in their careers or their work, skill sets that they need to be aware of that they need to nurture uh, to continue to grow as a worker, as a person, that type of thing. You know, you might think I'm going to tell you something technical, um, some kind of code skill, which, you know, I, I would never say don't get that skill. Uh, but the skill that I work most commonly with entrepreneurs on is storytelling. How do I communicate an idea in a way to, to other people that is compelling to them and that makes people want to be a part of that story? Uh, every entrepreneur is doing that with employees who are maybe going to, maybe going to leave a, a full-time good paying job to take a risky job at a startup. They're telling a story of what the future of what could be. If they're uh, working uh, to raise capital from investors, they're saying, "Give me your money because I am going to, you know, make you a lot more money." And here's the story of how that's going to happen. Uh, that skill is wildly underappreciated and uh, incredibly important uh, in in any kind of leadership role. Uh, if, so, if I could say one thing, it'd be storytelling. And last one today, what would be your dream job? If you could pull it off now, it's in your mind thinking, I just, I would love to just do this. <laughs> You've already done so much, but what is it? Yeah, that's a great question. I, this is going to sound dumb, but uh, the job I have right now, I feel like there's just so much more to learn in it that I haven't learned yet. Uh, like this is the right now, the dream job for me. Someday it won't be. Uh, but, you know, for right now, like I, I, I get to work with entrepreneurs, I get to help see them be successful, they get to cry on my shoulder, which almost happened yesterday, uh, when, when there's <laughs> a company that's dealing with some really big painful challenges. Uh, but like this, I, I'm having a, a blast doing this, and I just hope I do end up doing a really good job of it. And I learn, learn fast enough uh, to keep up with it. It's, it's a challenging job. So I, I love this job I've got right now. Eric, thank you for your time. And I appreciate your story. And, and uh, you know, there's things along the way that, you know, that I pick up that I didn't know. And there'll be people that probably know you and listen to this. And they're like, I didn't know that about, uh, about Eric or where things come along. But I do appreciate your time. Thank you.
Thank you, Dana. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for being on this journey, everyone. Please subscribe and share this podcast. That's a job on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. The That's a Job podcast presented by Career Adventure Academy. Discover the work you are wired to do. Live your career adventure. If you haven't done so already, hit subscribe to enjoy future episodes. Build your career adventure at nateclayberg.com. Production assistance provided by Bill Jordan VoiceOvers. Visit BillJordanVO.com. This podcast is a Need 10 Media production.